a long time ago. It's the ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parts and the great disturbance of the force. I told you she would never partially betray the rebellion. That's no move. Caught in a trap and it's pulling us in. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas. Archie Goodwin, writer-editor. Carmine Infantino and Gene Day, artists. Rick Parker, letterer. Janice Cohen, colorist. Jim Shooter, consulting editor. The Empire Strikes. Hyperspace. Under full warp drive, the Millennium Falcon threads its way toward the moons of Yavin. All aboard the smuggling ship are tired. A multitude of adventures lie behind them. Each has taken its toll. It is the time of great vulnerability. Princess Leia, Captain Solo, come quickly. Something's happened to Master Luke. And thus begins... Star Wars, Volume 1, Issue Number 18, was first published by Marvel Comics on September 1978 and has a cover date of December 1978. Our story begins with the Millennium Falcon. All are aboard and Luke Skywalker falls into a deep and mysterious trance, almost a coma, if you will. Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Chewbacca pilot the Millennium Falcon toward a medical help. They stumble, however, across the remains of the House of Taggy merchant ship. They discover a surviving rebel soldier who tells them that the Taggy ship was actually attacked by the Empire, but was made to look like rebels had destroyed the craft. An Imperial cruiser, under the command of Commander Strom, soon arrives on the scene and makes an attempt to capture the Millennium Falcon and her crew. Han, with great skill, pilots their escape and seeks out the safety of a space station called The Wheel. Commander Strom sends his troops in hot pursuit, but is soon contacted by The Wheel's administrator, Simon Grayshade, who quickly reminds the Imperial commander that The Wheel is supposed to be free of interference from the Empire. It is truly a neutral zone. Commander Strom then claims that the rebels are responsible for the attack on the House of Taggy's ship, which was carrying profits from the wheel. At which point, Grayshade then gives permission for the Imperial troops to come onto the wheel and seek out these rebels in the lower levels of this large space station. And this space station of the wheel is actually a floating casino, as we are told in this story. This 
is the first of the Star Wars news stories outside of the adaptation of the screenplay that I feel really begins to miss the mark, artistically speaking. It's very inconsistent. And what's crazy about this is that we truly have a legend here in Carmine Infantino who did the penciling. And the reason I say inconsistency is because when you go panel to panel, uh, just the facial expressions on Luke's face are rather bizarre. There's an inconsistency to the facial features here. And I don't know if this was Carmine Infantino's way of saying how Luke fell into this coma, that he was reacting to some uh, pulses in the force. And it's really unclear, but it, it, it really took my attention off of the story itself. Han Solo, Princess Leia, they do not look like they had in previous issues. There's definitely a stylistic change that I'm seeing here. And I know that Carmen Infantino is listed as the penciler and Gene Day as the inker. I don't know if Day's inks affected the pencilings. You just can't tell. But nonetheless, I did find it from panel to panel a bit distracting. Now, as it relates to the story, what's very interesting is by this time, George Lucas hadn't divulged the name of the next Star Wars film. So this comes very close to that, naming this story The Empire Strikes. The only thing you're missing here is back. So as you can see, since Marvel had some free reign here, filling in some stories while the new script was being developed there really was not a lot of communication back and forth other than if there was be anything that would impede upon or they think it would impede upon the sequel, they would have to then go consult with Lucas. So very clearly, they're staying away from past worlds uh, that they'd been to. The fact that they're going to this floating casino is, is something new. And I think kind of an inspired choice because you, you can't go retreading old worlds, go back to Yavin, try to go back to Tatooine. And again, I don't think Hoth or anything of that nature was in anybody's minds at this point, just other than the script writers and George Lucas, who were prepping the script for the sequel to A New Hope. But this story has plenty of action in it. I will say on a complimentary front, that the space scenes done by Carmine Infantino, and I, I really have to compliment our colorist here, Janice Cohen. Janice did an amazing job in providing some really vibrant colors and some contrasts here to make these spaceships pop. And when the Millennium Falcon comes upon the a private merchant ship with the uh, taggy markings on it, uh, that is really awesome how it's been blown apart. You see the floating pieces of the ship out there, the stars in the background. Really, really, really well done. And that illustration ends up taking up a good portion, I'd say about two-thirds 
of the page. So you see a combining of panels happening here. And that's something where there is not a shortage of really great space scene art in this. Carmine Infantino does a great job on the space station, the wheel. That, that takes up an entire page. And it is beautifully rendered. It looks like something that was inspired out of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Really, that, that big wheel going around is fantastic in how it, it really inspires you and your imagination to go, wow, this is, this is expansive. This is huge. This big casino wheel space station out here, this neutral zone away from the Empire. And I'm really anticipating here in this next issue because we're left at a cliffhanger in essentially the administrator allowing these stormtroopers to come on board the wheel and go hunt down the rebels. But I'm venturing to say we're going to see quite a bit of the scum and villainy of the galaxy, as well as a lot of the affluent on this wheel casino. And I'm really looking forward to that clash there between, oh my gosh, here are Imperial troops on here. Here's these rebels on here. And wait a second, isn't this supposed to be a neutral zone? And here are all of these casino goers. So this is way, folks, because this is 1978, way before Kento Bite, obviously, and any other casinos that have been portrayed here in Star Wars. So I'm, again, looking forward to seeing what Carmine Infantino's vision is here uh, for this story. Now, as it relates to the story itself and Archie Goodwin, this is good. It it propels the narrative forward. It gives us another side quest, if you will, as we have Luke, Leia, and Han uh, venturing along in space along with the droids and Chewie. And from that standpoint, veering off into a space station, Luke here in a coma, we're, we're not lacking for high drama. So that's a good thing. So it, it caught my interest there. I guess my only criticism at the end of the day is the inconsistency in the rendering of the facial features of Luke, Leia, and Han, and Chewie for that matter too. Chewie's a little too chunky and and looks a, a, his facial features look a bit askew. I don't want to say they're sloppy. I think uh, Carmen Infantino was maybe perhaps going for a an unkept and frazzled look as Chewie's trying to help Han maneuver the Millennium Falcon out of harm's way. So again, I'm going to give my the benefit of the doubt here to an absolute comic book legend in Carmen Infantino. Uh, and and also to Gene Day for that matter, because I just can't tell where those facial feature inconsistencies um, had occurred, but they do exist, and they are a bit distracting to say the least. But all in all, I did find this very, very enjoyable read, and I'm really looking forward to the second part here as we were left with this cliffhanger. Obi-Wan, take us out. Your destiny lies upon the different parts of your mind. This Marvel Legends comic book series is dedicated in loving memory of Charles Lippincott, who George Lucas hired in late 1975 to join the first Star Wars production as Vice President of Advertising, Publicity, Promotion, and Merchandising. To quote George, 
Lynch. Charlie was one of the founding pillars of the Star Wars films and phenomenon. He began in earnest the concept of licensing motion pictures at a time when only other company doing so was Disney. Charlie was the one who said early on that we can make this work, and was the first person to both develop Star Wars licensing and engage with the fans. He had insights into marketing and public relations that were truly unparalleled, and prime example of that is San Diego Comic-Con today. Charlie is widely credited for setting the trajectory of Star Wars fandom with his grassroots-style convention presentations beginning in 1976, well before the release of the first film. Those early appearances included Mark Hamill, who accompanied Charlie on a promotional tour for Star Wars, this barnstorming of conventions celebrating science fiction, fantasy, and comic books resulted in movie theaters welcoming large crowds of fans on Star Wars opening day, due in large part to Charlie's early promotional efforts. In addition, Charlie sought out the very first comic book and toy deals with Marvel and Kenner, now Hasbro, respectively. Two iconic legacies that continue to this day. Thank you, Charlie, for Star Wars comics becoming a reality. And that's what this Legends series is all about. The Force will be with him always.